You're listening to BQN. Assimilate the audio. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of All Good Things, a Star Trek Universe podcast here on the BQN and the Fandom Podcast Network. I'm your host, Christos, and with me today are Amy and Kelvin. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hey, Christos. How are you guys this week? Doing great. I was able to hang out with a friend of the network, Matt Harker, last night. He came into Vegas. I just love hanging out with fellow Trek family. So, oh, Was that a Patreon exclusive? <laughs> well, he is a Patreon, so we will say yes. <laughs> yes. Um, Amy, I think you probably have the one location in the world that probably gets the most visitors in Vegas. I think you have the, the monopoly on the most visitors. I do. And I love it. And I'm very appreciative that people even like spend an evening or get a drink with me. Cause there is so much to do. And you know, you see me at truck things. <clears throat> so why see me again? But when they do, it's, Oh, I just love it. We had a good time. Wow. We went to this thing. It's called the paradox museum there's some crazy exhibits there that like mess with your head. It's, it's a really good museum. Nice. I'll have to check that out. I think I'm, I might be out before the year's over. I'm not sure yet, but uh, Calvin, how was your week? I've had a very quiet week. Uh, work aside, I've been uh, working like everybody, but yeah, not a huge amount going on. It's that kind of time of year where summer is over, the social life kind of quietens off, and we look forward to evenings in with the TV. Uh, and so, yeah, it's great to see you guys today. Yeah, yeah. I have just a little bit of news this week. The writer's strike re- looks like it's resolved, and quite amicably for the writers, and um, a lot of people are saying that the writers wouldn't have be where they are if the actors probably aren't almost ready to follow suit. So good, hopefully good news all around and we can uh, get some of our Trek shows back into production as, yeah. as the drought is about to start. <laughs> Fingers crossed. And it, it's almost good that the writer's strike has ended first because now they can get some material going in time for when the actors I'll get back to work as well. So they've got, they can hit the ground running. Yeah. Did everybody uh, catch the very short trek this week? The hologram one? Yes. yes. It's the first one I liked. <laughs> Me too. Me too. I thought it was fantastic. And the fact it was written by Aaron as well. Uh, yeah. It really, it really showed. Um, and just what a crossover. Yeah. So I know they're not canon. But does this mean that, like, maybe Trip didn't die when he died, <laughs> or when we think he died? I mean, I think that's what the I think that that's what it implies. But obviously, they've been called these are not canon, right? Uh, yeah, they're not canon, um, but there is a lot of behind the scenes. Uh, Connor Trainer's return to Star Trek. A lot of people saying he's back from the dead. However, my kind of blended head canon does take on a lot of the the kind of beta universe of the books where Trip didn't actually die at all. He was just an undercover operative on Romulus. So I never believe that Trip dies anyway. It was a, okay. a glitch in the horror program that they couldn't remember 200 years ago. I'll take that. I'll take that. So it was written by uh, Aaron Waltke and sort of similar to his Kobayashi episode that he wrote for Prodigy where it's like you think you're in something and then it's, oh, no, we're in a different reality. Oh, nope, we're in a different reality. Like, I loved that cyclical feeling. Um, and by the end, I was like, oh, my gosh, we got to see representation of every series. And yeah, that was a lot to go through because it was like, oh, yeah, there's Saru. Oh, yeah. You know, and you're it's just so excited. Yeah. Yeah. It, the representation it was me, strong. It reminded me a lot of shipping a bottle, the whole kind of holodeck within a holodeck within a holodeck. 
Um, so that kind of constantly, what you're looking at is someone else is viewing it. Yeah. And did you notice as well the, the Quark and Garrick scene, even down to the clothing that they had on, was an, almost an exact drawing of the scene in Way of the Warrior, where they're talking about the root beer. So I just thought, lovely little details. Yeah. Only our Trexpert Kelvin would catch that. <laughs> Look, I'm a gay man. I, I take notice of what people are wearing, especially oh, when it's just flamboyant. <laughs> you are kind of Garrick sometimes, too. <laughs> Mr. Taylor. <laughs> this is the bridge. All hands to emergency escape pods. so we're doing this without mark but and now it's time for escape pod uh this week we had uh lower decks season four episode five empathy i knew i was gonna screw that up empathological fallacies it's the midpoint of the current season and um first off like what did we think of this episode just first impression loved it i thought it was Lower Decks at its best when there is that direct reference to previous, usually TNG episodes. But here we got a DS9 episode and a TNG episode callback, albeit you didn't know about the TNG one, uh, Sarek, at first. So, yeah, I just thought it was great. And just bringing on those three women who were, let's face it, just different sides of Loaxana Troy, certainly in the dress sense. Uh, it, it was great. I'm all about the A-plot. And I know last week, Christos, you were gushing over Tallinn. My, this was a Tallinn episode. It was so, yeah. like, to give the episode to the new character, thought it was brave, but it was great. Yeah, I agree. And because I remember saying, like, I want to see more Tallinn. And, oh, my gosh, we are getting a lot more Tallinn. She's been in every episode. Yeah, and I think right. the reason for that was, yeah, when they... Talyn first shows up in What Wage Douge, which is, I think, mm -hmm. a season two episode. Mm -hmm. The right. problem with it, her kind of busting out as a fan favorite was season three was pretty much done already. I think the response is now we're seeing her. They actually had the time to put her in season four. So now we're seeing her in four, and it's really, really great. Um, um, the three Betazoid ladies, I thought it was Quite clever that they were actually Betazoid intelligence officers. But um, did they not remind you of the current like villain on Star Wars Ahsoka? I mean, I, <laughs> I just was getting that vibe from them. I don't know. I forget. I don't. Even, I can't even remember what the new character's name is. Um, the the, the one witch. who's the, the witch. Yeah. Yeah. I think they were better than her, and we got three well, yeah. for one. <laughs> I, said, I said. I said. Remind. Um, yeah. Yeah. I am. Um, I like this one a lot. I like that. Of course it. You know, things aren't always as it seems, right? We're thinking that these are like uh, middle-aged uh, Betazoid women who are giving off emotions, which is a callback to, you know, TNG. But it turns out it's uh, Talyn having, projecting her Vulcan emotions onto the ship just coincidentally. Mm. It's actually a callback to Deep Space Nine, to Fascination in season three when Loaxana Troy makes everyone get pretty randy because uh, she's uh, after Odo. See, that's why you're here, because we all know how <laughs> I yes, nine seasons two and three. <laughs> Let's not go there. Happy birthday, oh, experts. <laughs> happy, exactly. I saw Davies post uh, last night and I was like, oh, yeah, it's been a year. Our time flies. Yeah. So much fun. Uh, so, yeah, it's a little sad, though. We're actually halfway through the season for Lower Decks already. Oh. And, yeah, yeah. About five more to go. Um, but it's been pretty solid season, so I'm happy about that. So were you getting, and it's probably just because you had mentioned, Kelvin, it's probably more reference to Deep Space Nine, but I was getting, like, Naked Now vibe of them, you know, in 10 Forward or wherever they were. Yeah. Yeah. I, but I it's see, more I, Deep Space Nine. I, it is. It, it's well, actually, it, it's more Sarek. And if you think of when Sarek's got his Bendai syndrome, and there's people shout, you know, Wesley and Geordie shouting at each other, then there's a big bar fight in Ten Forward. Whereas DS Nine was just, it was all one note. It was everyone was amorous 
and oh. you 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 fell in love with the first person you saw when you had an episode with uh, Loaxana passing you by. So the fact, looking back on it, yes, there was a lot of amour, uh, especially those two ensigns on the table. Yes. Um, but there was uh, Dr. Miglimu getting aggressive with the replicator. There was people going a bit frantic. So it was, it was a lot more Bendai syndrome mm. than Betazoid Xanthi fever when you mm-hmm. actually look at it. But the twist on it, it led you down one path and then made you kind of forget that they were two very similar stories on DS9 and TNG. Right. Who did it Who did it best? <laughs> I do enjoy the throughput of the season being this mysterious ship that is destroying other ships and then potentially, I suspect, transporting the crews off those ships. Um, not killing the crew. You think but. they're collecting? Yeah, because if you look at the way, I don't know, there's this, hmm. this is the first or second episode. It looked more like they might have been being transported. Um, there's, there's a very definitive effect of almost like, imagine them being, well, they are being blown away, it's a weapon, but almost like blowing breath and it throws them off screen, which you could argue almost looks a little bit like a transporter signature. So that could be a plot twist. But we're at episode five now, and it hasn't really got started this year. It's just been pre-cutscenes at the beginning. There was the, the, you know, they handed the pad over at the end of this week's episode to say, we're looking for this ship. So maybe it's the second half of the season that the mystery gets going. Yeah. Yeah. It needs to get going because it needs to wrap up. <laughs> yeah. Well, they are making all these one-off episodes, which is just fine. But there is this one little thing. It's very um, kind of strange New Worlds-ish in that sense that sometimes mm-hmm. the episodes are all individual, but there is something connecting them a little bit that's going to lead to a finale. So I don't know. Hopefully it's not just the finale. Hopefully we at least get like maybe the last two episodes really take on the story or something. Yeah. And one thing with Lower Decks, man, it's like those episodes are like, I feel like they're over. I hit play and it's like, next thing you know, it's over. It's like, yeah. it just goes so fast. So what do we think about the Boimler storyline going with uh, Shaq's, that's his name? Yeah. Security. It, it was odd. And again, what does he call Boimler? Baby bear or something? Baby bear. Yeah. 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 You know, so it's like, okay, they have had, you know, their time together, but it just, it didn't seem to fit with the whole thing. I don't know. What do you think about it? I think they're always trying to make Boimler be more like Boimler. And it's weird to me in the sense that, like, every time I think that he's kind of gotten past something and matured a little bit he kind of goes right back to it, you know? And that's that's what I get with this. It's like, chill out, go enjoy the party, blah, blah, blah. You know, you've already made friends with these guys. But then he's almost like being... And how many times has he gone around with shacks? You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, to be, like I said, borderline insulting to shacks because he's like stereotyping. And sure enough, here we go, do it again. You know, we're, you know he's stereotyping, he's, you know all security does this, this is all they do, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I Like I said, I just kind of feel like um, every time he seems to learn his lesson, we forget that in the next episode. <laughs> yeah, it was very much a B-plot, let's face it, this side of the story. But they kind of, it needed to serve the main story of having these people out of the way, therefore not affected by Talin. Yes, that, that's, yeah. I was really picking up on that. Because they were down there just kind of chilling and not knowing what was going on. But why weren't they affected by Tillin? They must have a distance, yeah. Must have a range to it. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Amy's not convinced. No, I'm well, not just, convinced. Yeah. Well, it was like, like even, even think about it, Amy. There, there was nothing wrong on the bridge until they got to the bridge. Right, you know, yeah. So, so there is a distance. So it was really... Um, I don't want to say call it 10 forward, whatever they call their area. Um, but it was really limited to that area to begin with. And we're just wherever they were going. And then, you know, they go up to the bridge and then it's happening up there. So I feel like, yeah. uh, you know, it's mm. wherever, wherever, wherever on, Tulin was running around. 
Yeah, and on DS9, um, you literally had to be walking past Luaxana Troy as she had like a little attack, you know, oh. and you would see her touch her head like she had a headache going, oh, yeah. people would be Is that the one with, but, where, where Jake Sisko has a thing for Kira? Yeah. There's all, all yeah, manner of all manner of inappropriate pairings. Com- combinations, um, yeah. My favorite thing about that episode is actually behind the scenes because Kira and Bashir are the ones who are making out all the way through. And that's the episode where behind the scenes, Siddig and Nanar got together. Oh. So they got a lot of on-screen practice. I wonder if you could, like, you know... Blame the somehow make that a workman's comp thing, man. Like, you know, <laughs> he, made, he made me do this, and then I married this guy and had a kid, and then I got divorced from him. It says all your fault work. <laughs> all right, so shall we jump into our main topic of the week? Yes, please. Yes, Calvin, why don't you introduce the topic? Okay, so we are continuing with our undercover series, and we're on part five. And this week, we are covering a season seven TNG two-parter, Gambit. And I'll, I'll give a little bit of a summary. Why not? So while investigating Picard's apparent death, Riker is captured by pirates who are pillaging Romulan archaeological sites along the Romulan border. Yeah, the the very like one and a half or not even a whole sentence kind of description of literally two whole episodes, but it kind of works actually too. <laughs> um, let's see. So um, initial thoughts. Well, let me back this up a little bit. First off, we have like guest star galore in this episode. Um, Robin Curtis returns to Star Trek uh, as Talera, Talera, and. Technically, to Paul, she has, she she introduces herself as being an undercover agent in this one as mm-hmm. well. More more undercover, as we'll get into. Um, Richard Lynch plays Baron. Um, Ensign Gusetti, Gusti, Gusti. I don't know. It's uh, Sabrina LaBeouf from the Cosby Show. She was uh, Sandra, the oldest child on the Cosby Show. Um, kind of called her out like right away. I'm like, oh, I know her. Um, and then we had NBA star, I believe he was an L.A. Laker, uh, James Worthy, plays the really tall Klingon in episode two. And um, James Crawley uh, from Babe is in this episode. So lots of people to be seen. I think it was like toward the end of TNG when all these people really wanted to be on the show. And you were fan, people were fans and wanted to be on and kind of shows there. Yeah, so one of the, one of the actors you've not listed is I and I don't even know her name, but it's the actress who plays Vacor, who's the redheaded uh, mercenary, and she was Caitlin pre- Brown. Thank you. So Caitlin Brown was previously on Deep Space Nine the year before in the episode The Passenger, and she was a Cobilad, uh, and Cobilads uh, they're the species in Star Trek Resurgence. Uh, who's the the main character, the number one. So that's the little mm-hmm. tie in there. But I love, there was something about the presence of that character. And I think as a young teenage boy, as we go on and on about Christos, loving these strong women characters in Trek, she was just so fierce and acted really well. And it was just a shame that she dies in this episode. I, I, she was great. She was always my favorite in the episode. Well, you kind of knew she was going to die. I mean, yeah. just kind of. By the way, the episode plays; it's a trope almost. But um, so, initial thoughts. I just without getting too deep into it, do we like this two-parter? Yes. Oh, okay. Amy, Amy, Amy likes it. <laughs> <laughs> Enough said. Yes, I love. I didn't. It wasn't until I rewatched for today that it reminded me how much I love this episode. It never would feature on any of my favorites list, top tens, but I love, love, love it. Uh, sometimes a two-parter, the story isn't strong enough, and sometimes there's a bit of padding to cover two episodes. This story completely eats up two episodes, and there's, there isn't even a B-plot it's just all a pot in two episodes. It's yeah. towards the end of TNG, so everything's really polished and defined and really good. Um, but yeah, this it holds a special place in my heart. This episode, I remember 
when I first got like a, a PC and I, my very first version of Microsoft Word, I would pretend to type out scripts. And that first scene in the bar, I typed out a script to it right when I was 14, 15. So I can watch this episode on mute and know it word by word. <laughs> it's so, it's so iconic to me. Well, hold on to that first thing because we're going to get to that. Um, Indeed. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I like this episode. I, I call this, and I think Amy and I have talked about this before, like these episodes that we, for whatever reason, when we're just looking for episodes to watch, we skip over them for some reason. And then you finally make yourself watch it. And you're like, no, I like this episode. It's good. But um, so one thing I made, a little jumping into topic one here, um, there is a little bit of season seven fatigue, I call it, when you know some of the things start to repeat themselves. And this episode started to remind me of another very favorite episode of mine, as everyone knows, is The Chase. And, you know, kind of roughly, you, you see the continuation of the Picard-loving archaeology storyline here. That's how it gets him in trouble to begin with. When he is deciding to be captured and, and try to investigate what's going on with these pirates, he gives himself the name of Galen, which is a throwback to Professor Galen, who died mm -hmm. in The Chase. And was his professor. And then similarly, we're chasing artifacts to reassemble some device. And in this case, it's a Vulcan resonator weapon. So uh, am I, is that a little bit me there? Or do you guys kind of agree that there's a little bit of rehashing going on with the actual baseline there? Yeah, I do. And it's interesting you point this out because it's that's sort of what I feel like with Gambit. Like it's a good episode. But like both of you said, it's not a go-to. It's not a, oh, this is even my top 25. Like, it's it's good. And we remember it. Um, one thing that I think pays off that it being a season seven episode is that the glances between like Riker and Picard, you know, and it's like these knowing glances. We don't get to know what the inside scoop is. But between that glance, because there's history, it's like, okay, you got it. Yeah. I can buy that they, you know, we don't know the gambit, but they know it. And so it's believable. I think if this were to be any sooner in the series, it wouldn't have paid off because we have those basically six years of them working together and knowing what those glances mean. The acting saves the episode. And yeah. because and because they they know each other so well and they know their characters so well, yeah. they're able to do that. There's even like that happens in more than one place. I, in the shuttle bay with uh, Crusher and is Worf there with her? Yeah, yeah. Like there's some of that going on there in the bar scene in the beginning, which we'll jump into yep. next. There's a lot of that going on. Um, yeah, it's um, it's the acting. I feel like it saves the episode communicating so much with Unlock. Uh, and you're right, Christos. I can think of three definitive areas where it happens. First of all is where Picard sabotages the ship so Riker can save it. And he says, the flow regulator is frozen. And then looks over at him and he runs over and saves it. There's the Riker saying, where is the Klingon pilot? And then he gives the look to Beverly. So she actually says, and Worf didn't clock it at all. He was just being stupid. Uh, but my favorite... We'll talk about that. <laughs> my favorite is, speaking of Worf being stupid, when Worf disrespects Data on the bridge oh. and goes like, finally. And then LaForge, and, and bearing in mind, LaVar's got the visor on, so how he manages to do this. LaForge looks at Data as if to say, oh, you shouldn't have that. And then he has to take him in the ready room and give him a good telling off. So yeah. it, it's so rich, that acting. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. So I like that we all clocked it the same way. It's it's really, that's I think that's the only reason we like it. It's like a little tour de force. And I think, I think the actors are having fun in this episode. And I, I think that's what's different about it. it they're having fun. Um, going on to my next topic, I want to talk about, since we are undercover, uh, undercover overload, as I'm calling topic two, that first scene in the quote unquote dingy bar, um, we see Riker, Troy, Worf and Crusher all down and undercover at the same time. And of course, we see Picard undercover pretty much the whole entire episode. But 
and that bar, we have four of our main seven undercover together. And I think they're just chewing up the scenery in the scene. Oh, Kelvin. <laughs> oh, there's so much to unpack in this one scene. Um, so the initial conversation with Diana and the barman, where she's basically pretending to be a hooker. <laughs> yeah. But Marie, Marina's deadpan, one note talking is, is amazing in itself. Special shout out to the wardrobe for what the barman is wearing. He's wearing this like shoulder pad thing that, and this is the year before Voyager started. So whenever I see that shoulder pad, it's what they give to Lieutenant Ayala on Voyager whenever he's in yes. Mackie clothes. So they got a lot of use out of that. Um, Actually, cut that from the, I cut that out of our trivia. Oh, no, sorry. Because there's, so, there's so many trivia that we'll get to later yeah. on, but I think I'd cut that one. <laughs> But the um, even the kind of the, the line that Worf spins about we're looking for the man that impregnated your sister. And it turns out, to, oh, it's Beverly. Oh, that's my sister. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I, I put this little quote in there. Um, the bartender who's trying to look out for, is it Yarnick? Um, he's like, Yarnick. you've had a little, he's like, you have, I think you've had a little too much to drink. You better leave. On your way, Yarnick. And then Crusher just pulls out a phaser on the bartender. I'm sorry, but I think he wants to stay. Sit down. <laughs> and then Riker's like, that's my sister. She's angry. She's got a vicious temper. I wouldn't cross her. <laughs> and Beverly's wearing that dumbass beret. <laughs> oh, I know. What was up with that? That was so weird to see here. Like, <laughs> talking just, about wardrobe. <laughs> I begin to think the only reason I like this episode is kind of what we were saying about the last topic. I think... It's there's some fun things happening in this episode, and it excuses a lot of the, uh, uh, I would say maybe the the repetition. They're just having fun. The repetition yeah. in some of the storylines and the revisiting of things. They're just having fun, and and we get to see a lot of the characters, even when they're not in undercover mode. We see a lot of them playing different roles. So you see Data as Captain Worf as first officer. Um, so that kind of dynamic is all thrown up into the air. So I, I it's fun. And and you can see the actors were having fun when they were doing it. Yeah, it's something you just start to see in season seven of TNG. Um, they were really experimenting. I remember just remember this is like a like two or three episodes after we saw Beverly in command of the Enterprise and things like that. Um, and we'd go on to see Troy go on to take the bridge officers test. They've just really started, you know, playing with these characters in different ways in season seven, having a little bit of fun with it. And, you know, parallels, I think is somewhere in this uh, stretch of episodes. And that one's a really fun one to see Worf kind of doing things differently. And yeah. I think that's kind of what saved season seven, because some of the stories of season seven were just a little bit uh, that you can see they, they refer to themselves as having running out of gas. And, but it, I think what? it's some of the swap ups and situations that make it, Okay. Yeah. Every other episode. Yeah. Sorry, Amy. Every other episode in season seven is about family. It was very yeah. much that was the theme running through season seven, just wrapping it up. Um, before we move away from undercover, you've got the kind of the undercover, undercover double bluff with Robin Curtis's character. Uh, so I'm curious to ask you, Christos. Obviously, being such a huge Savic fan, how do you feel about Robin Curtis's return? I love her in this episode. Um, I love Robin Curtis. I felt like I feel like she's better in this role than she was as Savick because um, I prefer Kirstie Alley Savick just because of the way they wrote. That's just the way she was based on the direction the actresses were given. Um, so I think that the, in this particular role, Robin Curtis is just like it's that right amount of being deceptive but having that Vulcan aspect of it to it and you know it's a little bit a little bit to almost in some ways the way you see that uh you know i can be i'm not being a full what fully fully would be expected as from a vulcan i guess you know i'm i'm running with this other side and of course we find out why that is later but um yeah i liked it and i think her makeup and outfit and everything are like on point in this episode i really like the costuming that was chosen for her um, jumping on the topic three, and Kelvin, you kind of alluded to this. I called this the B storyline, but it was really more of a like a scene and a half. But we have this Worf and Data conflict on the bridge. 
as you said, Data's now the captain or acting captain. Worf is the acting first officer. And we find Worf being very disrespectful and dismissive to Data's choices and uh, insubordinate borderline. And I, I ask this question of, is it believable? Because for me, a little bit of this is a revisit from the trope from Redemption Part 2, where Data's in command of one of the other ships and his first officer's questioning his orders and being disrespectful. And so we have data having to deal with that kind of crap again. And is it out of character for Worf? And my final question to this is going to be, why do we tend to make Worf the asshole all the time? Because he is. (laughs) Oh, but he's only written that way. It's that last question, Christos, that really gets me thinking because you look at Picard and Worf, like in the movies and Throughout the whole series, like Worf is always the one, let's blast him, da da da. Well, Captain, we should do something different. Like he's always the dissenting one where yeah. the captain's like, no, let's get another option and then let's go with yeah. that one. But it's always Worf that's, you yeah. know, the first one to come up with an idea and then is always shot down. Well, and he gets, I for, one, for whatever reason, I thought of the drumhead here where he gets really swept up in the uh, Admiral's, uh, you know, rhetoric and whatnot. And there's Worf, once again, kind of going off tangent and being Worf. And I'm like, and then, you know, don't even, there's the whole Alexander stuff. Like, why do we always make Worf the asshole? I feel like, to your point, I mean, he's written that way. It's because writers do that. But why do they choose to do that to Worf yeah. and not other characters? They... It was it was definitely part of Worf's character development, and Worf is always seen as this, without being too cliche here, honourable when it comes to the Klingon side, and almost quite gentlemanly, and you know, a, 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 the man that everyone looks to. But almost from a professional, good at your job, technical, he's almost made to look stupid. Like you say, Amy, it's like. Worf gives an idea. Picard looks around. Anyone else? <laughs> they don't want to go with. <laughs> they don't want to go with that one. And they even they even make fun of that in Lower Decks, where they do the same with Shacks. And then when they agree, oh, yes, let's eject the warp core. He, he's running around getting a high five from everyone because they've chosen his option. <laughs> I love that. A, I love that. Which is a direct Worfism. Um, but the thing about is it believable? I would say yes. It is. And that scene where he kind of mumbles under his breath, where they, you know, lay in a course and go find the mercenary vessel, and he goes, finally. Yes, he wouldn't say that if it was Picard. He wouldn't say that if it was Riker. I think it's less of a disrespect to Data in that he doesn't believe Data should be captain. I think it's more his frustration that the captain and Commander Riker are being held prisoner. And he wants yes. to take action. So it's not that he disagrees or disrespects data. He's just very, you know, wound up and he wants it's his, his duty his, his position. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But can I also ask as well, why was Worf first officer? Why wasn't Geordi first officer? He's he's a lieutenant commander. He should he should yeah. be higher. And they would have made him much better captain and first officer. Um, or at this point, you know, why not Beverly? We've established, I mean, I know she's not a lot, technically a line officer, but they have through descent part two reestablished her as a ranking bridge, you know, having taken the bridge test and she outranks, you know, she's right there with Riker and, and, and rake. So she is the highest until Troy gets her promotion later in the season. Mm -hmm. Uh, Beverly and Riker have the highest rank next to Picard. Mm -hmm. So. I know that's just me doing a Beverly plug there, but yeah, I would agree. Jordy would be probably the better choice. We, and we've seen that before um, in like Arsenal Freedom. Where Absolutely. Jordy yeah. yeah. And why didn't they change uni? They should have changed uniforms as well. They should have been in red. <laughs> well, in the sense that at this point, I mean, do we know that Picard is alive at that point or did they know Picard's alive? Cause I no. don't think until they beam onto the enterprise that everybody else knows that Picard's alive. Yes. Can, can, it's in, can, in that. Yeah. Can we just discuss that? So I remember at the time being so anxious as a viewer that somebody's going to let the cat out of the bag and just shout, Captain, you're alive. But <laughs> really, they're all going along with this, you know. So I would, it, it really got my anxiety going when I, on, on the first views of this episode as a child, going, Oh my God, so Deanna or Data is just going to say, Captain, what are you doing here? <laughs> 
Well, I'm glad it wasn't Deanna because that would just be like more more to heap on her doorstep because she gets picked on enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what was that scene with with between her and Will? Like, yeah. do oh, yeah. we have... really believe that Deanna doesn't know the captain is alive at this point? Oh, he's telling the truth. And what we need to, you know wrap things up and this is helps the healing process. Like I, I get like, it just seemed too shoehorned of this is my counseling job when she really should sense the captain's alive. Well, first off, I had that as a regeneration for me because oh. I felt like it's real. No, you're absolutely right that you think of it that way, that it's out of character almost. Um, that's early on in the part one. Yeah. So I don't, you know, and there's a distance there. They're not near Picard. So mm -hmm. I don't know empathically she'd be picking up on him. But I think you make a point that later when they come near that ship, she might be able to sense him. Yeah. Um, but that should come up potentially as a, you, you might have yes. revealed a little bit of a plot hole there, Amy, um, yeah. there. But, but, you know. Yeah, um, that was, that's a regeneration of mine, just to talk about that. I felt like the, the writing was really kind of out of character. The scene is very forced. It's just, and it gives me some, re, reminds me of a little bit of when Picard is taken and made into Locutus too. And they kind of have to deal with mourning Picard a little bit. And Riker's mm -hmm. got to take command. And no one's really ready to move on, but they're being told to move on. And there's a little bit of, once again, revisiting something that's been done already in the show. <laughs> Yeah, and like, I guess by the time that I think Deanna would need to say, okay, we need to have services, we need to wrap things up and move on and start the healing process, you don't say that to someone within the first week of losing someone. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. I just, so again, it's like, I know that the writers are saying this to make it seem like Picard has been gone for so long. But again, it's just not believable for Deanna to be saying these things at this juncture when it's only been, you know, such a short amount of time. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I think it's just it's a plot device to keep things moving, to yeah. kind of create a little bit of conflict, to kind of show a little bit of a military point of view here that we got up pick ourselves up by the britches and move forward. Yeah. We got to get back to business here and things like that. But yeah, I think it's very out of character. I like that scene. I always see it. You know, Christos, you talk a lot about there's only Beverly who can really talk to Picard in the way she does. And, you know, like in The Perfect Mate, where she says, you've got that human trafficker on board your ship who calls himself oh, an ambassador. Love it. <laughs> so there's only really Deanna who can talk to Will in that way to basically mm. say, you're being selfish, pull yourself together, you've got a job to do. So I respect that conversation. And obviously she does speak on the welfare and behalf of the crew. Right. One of the, one of the reasons I do love that scene, and it, she does this is also in face of the enemy when she's shouting at Navek. But when, when Marina is shouting, her British accent comes through. Yes. <laughs> so she so she goes really cockney for a moment. Yeah, that's so true. That's very true. I didn't think about that as much. Um, what I don't like, you're absolutely right, Kelvin, but what I don't like about that is like Riker pulls like title and rank and position on her to like remind her that, hey, we might be friends having a one-on-one -on -one in private conversation, but I still outrank you. And he's a county correct refers to her as counselor. Now, she doesn't get five feet away from him before he apologizes. So there's that, you know, things are said in the moment, but he immediately pulls back and apologizes. So that's what kind of makes it okay for me. But yeah, it's just... Yeah, it just seems like she's being used to further Riker's loyalty and devotion to Picard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it definitely is, you know, kind of a reminder of just this whole two episode or we, 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 we revisit this in Picard season three, that it's just a good Picard and Riker kind of off doing something mm -hmm. together kind of episode. Um, and we, you know, this is one of those instances where we see that back in back in TNG days where they're off doing a little something and we get to see that again in Picard season three. So anyways, I just I liked it. Um 
let's jump on to assimilations and regenerations. It'll be interesting to get through this because I think we've talked a little bit about some of the stuff, but we'll get we'll, mm -hmm. we'll hit it. Um, I'll I'll kick it off. I think this was a very Romulan storyline. <laughs> Whose side is everyone on? It keeps you guessing. The backstabbing is very real in this episode. It's very piratey. It's very mm -hmm. subterfuge and kind of keeps you guessing. So I think that's a really good trait of this episode. It's really fun to create a coup or, you know, let's overtake this bad captain. I mean, we see that a lot and it's done very well here in Gambit. I love how you say it's a very Romulan episode and you love all of the kind of the treachery and the backstabbing. I see this and love this very much as from the Vulcan aspect. Uh, the fact we go to Vulcan, you hardly ever go to Vulcan at that time in Star Trek's production history. True. So to see, you know, the lovely orange planet of Vulcan with the blue water was special in itself to see the Vulcan minister. Um, but the fact when there's the reveal that it's not Romulan uh, artifacts at all, it's actually Vulcan, it's the Stone of Gaul, it's the Resonator. What I love is the mention of the Takarath Sanctuary, and um, that's where they beam down to at the end. That's where she assembles the Stone of Gaul. And they say, uh, this place was used in the last civil war. No one's been here for 200 years. And then that's what you get in the Enterprise Vulcan trilogy in season four. They're uh, Tapau and every all the Cyrenites are hiding in the Takara Sanctuary. And the civil war might be overstating it a little bit, but that is the Vulcan High Command going after the Cyrenites. So that's your civil war. So when they say no one's been here for 200 years, I just think, hooray, yay, it's Archer. Yeah. What, a, what a way to pick it up. So that was yay for the Enterprise. Yeah. Picking oh. up on this. Oh my yes. gosh, I never knew that. It's all connected, yes. Amy. Um, yes. Being a little selfish for a moment, I, I've got to just uh, put an assimilation in there of the uh, health and safety inspection that they do on the Klingon shuttle. Uh, that's my job in real life. I'm a health and safety inspector, uh, also food safety too. But just having that little buzz uh, as an adult looking back and saying, oh, Beverly introduces her saying, hello, I'm Dr. Crusher and I'm here to do a health and safety inspection of your ship. That is based pretty much how I start my Monday to Friday when I arrive at my customer's premises. I don't introduce myself as Beverly Crusher. Why not? <laughs> Um, so, so your job still exists in the future. That's awesome. I know. That's good to know. <laughs> yes. Good to know. I think I thought Beverly was acting a little weird in that scene. Like she's like almost afraid. Like, but she has every right to do what she's doing, and she's acting like she's afraid. And I'm like, come on. Just oh, did you see him? He was about eight foot tall. <laughs> she had wharf with her. <laughs> I mean, he could have taken more. Sec I mean, they could have showed up with more security too. But, uh, anyways, mm -hmm. um, I do like it because, believe it or not, that's like the first time we see Beverly since the opening scene. Uh, you know, and it's like three quarters through episode two. So we go through a long part of the one two parter um, of not having Beverly. So I was glad she finally got something to do there towards the end. Did you see? Did you see in the background of that scene because it's in the shuttle bay? You've got the Justman shuttle, which is Beverly's shuttlecraft from Suspicions. Yes, yes, very good callback there. I love it. Uh, let's see here: transporter guns. First, next time we see that again is Picard season three in um, what's that episode called? A surrender. Yeah, uh, it's isn't it the. It's Vox, isn't oh, it? Oh, no, yeah, nine, yeah. It's so when they're, yeah, when, when they're the beaming, the where they're shoot, yeah, they're shooting. At, actually, no, it's the final episode. The very, yeah. very final I was, episode. I was getting confused with when um, Vatic is on the bridge and they have to go retake the bridge there, but that was uh, done with uh, Jack Crusher. Yeah, it was the line um, when Seven says to Rafi, "You may have, you may have invented the first ever portable beam me up." And that I would like scream at the TV. I think I did scream at the TV say, no, they did this in Gambit. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't recorded into like history. Maybe it's just kind of a one offer. And then, you know, that ship got, you know, impounded probably and all that good stuff. I don't know. 
wasn't Federation tech. I'm, I'm stretching here. I'm grasping <laughs> at straws, but she wasn't, yes. the, she didn't know. There you go. I like that better. I, uh, people may come for me for this because I have just added this very quickly off the top of my head. So it may not be right, but I'm pretty sure this is the first time we see Klingon bloodline. Uh, so when uh, Data offers uh, the pilot the glass of the approximation of blood wine, um, yes, you see Klingons drinking, you see uh, them on the bar in Redemption, but I don't think the term Klingon blood wine is used until Gambit, and obviously that carries all the way through to Deep Space Nine and hmm. beyond. Yeah, interesting. Hmm. Like, kind of like trying to think if I can. Uh verify that very quickly but i don't think i'm reading i can read that fast um I will e i'll issue a retraction think, next week if i'm wrong <laughs> i think the though the glass and the container all served in is so stupid <laughs> i mean obviously it, that'll get like retconned later that they're just basically drinking out of an old school tin cup but or, or silver cup or something but i'm like it, what are they doing in this like 90s pier one imports looking stupid stuff that they got <laughs> it looked like right okay so this ties it to this week's lower decks and also ties it to las vegas so it looked like a yard of ale it was just like a really long thin glass uh and that's obviously what the betazoids were drinking out of when they arrived but those looked a lot like the drinks you get in vegas yes um, everyone's walking around with on fremont yeah. street yes yeah yeah so it was kind of the blood wine to the vegas drinks yeah. to the betazoids hey, it all linked together who's making us our ball caps that say it's romulan l o'clock somewhere oh i'm <laughs> at that, that lower I, decks right I'm hat. secretly hoping that's one of the gifts on the cruise next year. <laughs> could be. Could be. That one's like really easy to like, anyone could just go rip that off. It's like, yeah. no, make that hat. So we'll, I'm sure like something will, that'll pop up in no time. All right. So jumping on to regenerations. Um, I thought that the resonator itself, the device was a little bit lame and clunky. Um, it's seemed like it should be easy to overcome because it took seconds to use on somebody like when it's actually being used, the car could easily have stepped down, picked up his phaser and, and stunned, you know, our to Paul or whatever her name is, uh, Talera. Um, or you could have just beamed her up and kept her in suspension or what I'm like, this is going to be like this, you know, everyone's got to stop and use their good bots so that it can't be used on you. I thought, is kind of cheesy toward the end yes. there. Very final cheesy scene. <laughs> is the right word. I, yeah. I, the idea of the resonator is good. And I was fine with the actual prop. It was more the visual effect that it was just so slow. <laughs> it was just a rubbish weapon. Yes. Slow is the word for it because it should be, because it's so slow to use, you could, you know, beam down five security officers and maybe she got one, but you ain't going to get the other four, you know? <laughs> um, so uh, we talked a little bit about the drama between Riker and Troy and Worf and Data. Those were some regenerations I had. And um, otherwise, did you guys have any other regenerations that you could think of? I want to pose a question really, because it, it, it's a regeneration that is generic to the time of obviously gay representation didn't exist. But did you think Baran was just a little bit gay? He he yeah. seemed to have a thing for Riker. He he, he definitely fancied Riker. And he, liked tight, he, liked, he liked his tight pants too, you know. Yeah, his, and his little like... chaise lounge in his quarters. Oh he, yeah. He, he was just so camp. I, he I was mean, like, he was great. He was like, he was a gay Liberace space pirate. You know what I mean? Like, oh my I gosh, was... you guys are so funny. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, this is both an assimilation and a regeneration in itself in that we loved, I loved Baran, but the regeneration is, they, you know, in a modern storytelling, he, he would have been gay and it would have mm -hmm. added a lot more drama to it. I I think that would be like in the redo of that episode, or if it were a current episode, as you've said, I would be a, that would mm -hmm. be something that we would definitely, uh, definitely have to revisit. 
<laughs> they, they play it up. Let's get into some trivia here. Uh, Kelvin, why don't you kick us off? Okay, so Robin Curtis played Savick in Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock in 1984 and Star Trek IV The Voyage Home in 1986. Uh, her casting for the episode initially led fans to believe that the appearance would reprise her role as Savick. Hmm, which would have made Savick the baddie as a retrospe- retrospective, yeah. which again is what you've said quite a lot, Christos, with The Undiscovered Country. So there was this behind the scenes, people thinking Savick was going to return and, and go go bad. Yeah. Mm. Well, and I don't, and that may be very well. I, I almost think that it, that's not what was meant. Like that she was going to be in an upcoming episode and we hadn't seen the episode yet. So we didn't really even know what the episode was about. We just knew Robin Curtis had been cast in Star Trek. And ah. so people were really excited. So, because uh, I don't think we had descriptions yet, um, you know, but I don't know. I, um, I, I, I was definitely d- deep into Star Trek then, but we did not have the internet. So, but you would get like Star Trek magazines and you'd read about what's coming and, you, you know, these have, you, you know, or you'd go, um, if you went to conventions back in the day, I remember like going to see Gates McFadden, I think it was during season six or seven of TNG when it was still on the air, they would literally have just left the set. They would only have the weekend off. And these conventions were going on simultaneously all over the country. And they were just weekend conventions and they would come to your city. So they'd literally finish filming on Friday, take a flight to Cleveland, Ohio, show up on stage on a Saturday or Sunday morning convention and then fly back and then go to work on Monday back at uh, at Paramount and they would tell you what they were working on. Like not in depthly, like full on like, Oh, we're working on an episode right now. I think you guys are really going to like, and you know, so you'd get these hints of what's coming. Um, and that was kind of how the creation uh, us events went or very famously, they would do these little slideshows at the beginning of every convention and they'd kind of go through each character and then somebody would say, well, yeah, I remember I remember going to one. I'm like really off on a tangent here. But really, like right after DS9 premiered and when Kira's picture came up, the crowd went wild. And they're like, oh, that's your favorite. That, it, like that was very obvious that Kira was the standout favorite during season one of DS9. And that's also kind of got some feedback from the fans almost in real time was going to these weekend conventions. So... Anyways, so can I ask when, you, when, when we when I say here it led some fans to believe? Are you uh, were you that fan, Christos? Did you think oh. you were getting Savic back in TNG? I didn't know who she was going to be on until I saw her, and I was kind of like, she looks familiar, and then they felt the name and the credits, and right. Uh, so I didn't know she was going to be on. But had we had the internet, probably would have. But the second time we almost heard that Savic almost came up because she was also mm-hmm. supposed to be hopefully at the end of cause and effect as with Kirstie Alley. Mm. So, but alas, I mean, we could still bring Savick back. She'd still be just an old Vulcan, you know, if we yeah. got her back in, in, in legacy era, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, can do, but it would have to be Robin Curtis. We don't have Kirstie Alley anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, another bit of trivia, the bar informer named Uranek. Is that how you say it, Kelvin? Yeah, I like that better than how I said it earlier. (laughs) (laughs) So if you take that name and spell it backwards, you get canary, which is a slang term for an informer because they sing. Sing like a canary. Yeah, I love that. I know. I know. I was, I, that is so this episode cool. Has some, this episode has some good trivia. I was really enjoying um, doing some of the research for this episode. Um, so this is like one that really blew me away. This episode contains the longest phaser fight ever shown on screen with over 70 shots. All explosions were done in post-production due to the fire season ban on live explosions shot in location in Griffith Park's Cedar Grove. Likewise, all damage stains on rocks were done digitally. And this is the referring to the battle that happens early in episode one when um, Riker gets captured. I think it's amazing that that's done in post-production back then because I recall when Geordi is hiding behind the little wall and all the phaser beams hit the stones and one of the stones explodes. 
it seemed real, and, and Lavar's reaction to it as well, it seemed real. So the fact that that exploding, obviously I knew the phaser beams were added in post, but I thought the stone exploding would have been a real visual effect um, on the scene. So yeah, that's good. Yeah, Maybe that was, was exactly what I was going to say. Like, I did not know this was post-production. Like, how amazing, cool is that? Like, back in the day, that that was all done post-production. That's impressive. The idea for this storyline grew out of a spec script submitted by an Iowa college student, Christopher Hatton. It went against one of Gene Roddenberry's longstanding taboos, no space pirates. Well, yeah, that definitely. <laughs> the producers liked that Hatton's script was a less talky romp. But Rick Berman, although keen to proceed with an excellent story, tied a bandana around a bust of Roddenberry when discussing the story. Hatton's original script followed from Picard's point of view and didn't involve Riker at all. He submitted a second script, thine own self later in the season that is now so i true. have heard that they covered uh gene roddenberry's you know with a bandana to cover his eyes or cover his ears because like yes, oh yeah. we are doing something gene is not gonna like but we're gonna do it anyways thank goodness the bridge of baran's ship is a massive redress of the Enterprise's battle bridge. Uh, the most notable elements remaining from the original set were the view screen and the ceiling. Wow, I didn't clock that. Hmm. I didn't clock that either. But I did um, also read on that that set would also then become the bridge of the Pastura in the finale. Beverly Crusher's, Beverly Picard's ship. Oh. Hmm. hmm. Um, this is really kind of a cool one, but this is one of the only two TNG episodes where Captain Picard is never seen in his Starfleet uniform. What is Not the even... other one? Yeah, Calvin. Mm. Would, the, oh, would Best God. of Both Worlds Part 2? I just went there in my mind, but there's the no, scene at the end in, in the, the ready end. room when he's got the plasters on his face. Yep. Um, drinking tea and then he looks out the window. Uh, oh my God! Putting this on me right now. No. Descent. Well, they might be referring to part one and part two. There might not even be another one. I'm just going to throw that out there because yeah. this is a two-parter, and he doesn't. It, 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 I think that applies for both episodes, right? Because even when he's walking back to his quarters at the very end, he's still in this undercover outfit. Yeah, that's right. So, so but that's oh yeah yeah yeah. There could be Gambit 1 and 2 that, you know, that had, anyways. There could be another one. I wonder if I wonder if that's true. You know, Google will probably tell us all the answers to these things, but. Oh, right. I'm, I'm so distracted now trying to go through in my mind. <laughs> I know. I don't like it when it doesn't come immediately to me. But yeah, go on. Mm. You carry on. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll think. think so you just, Google, just Google in the background. It's okay. No, 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 no one will judge you. You I are the Google. I will not. Trek I Google. will not be. I will not be replaced by a computer. <laughs> I'm, I'm going on strike. AI is taking my <laughs> memory's job. <laughs> That's good. All right. So we're going to do a little bit. Uh, our final thoughts, just a little bit different here, and kind of rank this, I guess, against some of the other episodes in this series. So, um, who did it better? The undercover. That is. Um, previous entries included, as we said earlier, uh, Picard, uh, Two of One, Discovery's New Eden, uh, Picard's Stardust City Rag, and Enterprise's Civilization. So we got five episodes here, not counting two-parters. And um, where do we think this fits in against the other four entries? They're all really strong, I would say, apart from the Enterprise civilization. That's quite a weak episode, but they're That's all fine. very di they're all very different. Your Stars of City Rag and Two of One are very comedy romp uh, kind of undercover storylines with like Jurati singing and you know the way they're all dressed and Picard and Picard's the French, French accent. accent. Yeah, yeah. But then New Eden is very uh, moral with like the prime directive aspect and the the beautiful kind of like in the guy at the end see that he was right all along and you know so it's hard it's hard to rank this 
because they're also different examples. What do you think, Amy? Yeah, going through it, these aren't your typical tropey pirate. I mean, well, I mean, Stardust City Rag that sort of gets... No, I... I think you're right. They are all very different. And as you were, you know, going over them, I like the new Eden, but I mean, TNG, that's, that's my thing. And I love this. Yeah. Pirates in space. I, this, it encapsulates and embraces all that is good with pirates in space. So I really enjoy Gambit. Yeah. I think it will stand the test of time better. You know, it's already a classic. Will the will New Eden and Two of One, which are regarded as two really strong episodes of contemporary Star Trek, will they age the same way and as well as Gambit? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the one that has the biggest chance is New Eden because mm-hmm. um, already now history is looking back very favorably to season two of Discovery, and uh, now that it's been five years later since season two ish mm-hmm. out now. Um, yeah, so I, I think that's when it's got a chance, but you know, Gambit, obviously, here we are, um, 20 some almost 30 years later, maybe it is more than 30 years later, talking about, or maybe it's exactly 30 years later, um, talking about this episode still. So I don't know, we'll say for me, I'd say, yes, Gambit does it better. All right, I think are we, 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 we're uni. What shows are on BQN, you ask? Well, here's a rundown of some podcasts you might be interested in. All Good Things, a Star Trek Universe podcast covering all of Trek, hosted by Amy, Mark, Christos, and Kelvin. Bargain Bin Gamer, a YouTube show hosted by Davey, a self-proclaimed gamer who specializes in reviewing and showcasing affordable video games. If you're lost in the Delta Quadrant, check out The Captain's Couch, a Star Trek Voyager podcast hosted by Jeremiah sitting on Janeway's ready room couch. Cinema Z, a film discussion and review podcast showcasing films you probably missed but should definitely check out. Hosted by Mark, Matt, and Laz. Beam Aboard the Galaxy Class, a Star Trek Next Generation podcast covering all of TNG. Hosted by Amy, Joe, Rhea, and Kevin. History with the Zilagis, a snippet of historical events from around the world. Hosted by Chrissy and Jason. For the newest Trek coverage, check out Infinite Diversity. Hosted by Chrissy and Thad. Test your Trek knowledge with Trexperts Quiz. A Star Trek quiz show hosted and written by Davey. Union Federation covering all things Star Trek and the Orville, which we all know is really a Star Trek show. Hosted by Kyle, Kevin, Amy, and Haley. Spill the Tea with What's the Tea, Bev? A Trek current events and fan interview show hosted by Christos. And for our Patreon members, we have The Hive Mind, BQN's monthly roundtable discussion with hosts and listeners. It's Green, a cornucopia of topics hosted by Mark and Amy's Math Moments, a quick look at math moments in Star Trek hosted by Amy. We know you have a choice of podcasts to choose from, and we thank you for listening to BQN. Assimilate the audio. Amy, why don't you tell us about next week's episode? All righty. Well, next week we are going to be talking Get Off My Ship series. So we're going to talk about a Strange New World episode, everyone's favorite, The Serene Squall. That's a good one. not my favorite episode of Strange New Worlds, but it's not my favorite because we all know how I feel about Get Off My Ship, right, Amy? They're not my favorite episodes. Yeah. But... I will endure. I will endure and do my rewatch because I haven't actually, because of the type of episode, I've not watched that one a lot. Like I have some other Strange New Worlds episodes. Shame on you. It's a sensational episode. It's my second favorite of the season after Spock, um, yeah, Spock Mark. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what we were saying earlier about Talin? That they didn't know that Talin would be popular and we had the next season in the bag. This is why Jesse James Keitel 
I feel, isn't in season two of Strange New Worlds because they had it produced before the audience reaction to the yes. Serene Squall. So I strongly believe we will get Captain Angel back in season three of Strange wow. New Worlds. I if like that I, I will. I will riot if we don't. Oh, riot. Riot in the streets. Um, it'll be interesting because they actually did get to get through the all the airing of season two, um, which was not planned. I mean, they should have been filming season three before the season two had even started airing. So um, my point being that they, they have time to pivot on some season three stories if they want based on some season two feedback. So it'll probably be, you know, there might be one benefit to having the strike if they're mm-hmm. not so far ahead of themselves. But mm-hmm. I'm wondering, I should uh, reach out to Rhea and see if she wants to come on. This is her. She cosplay Captain Angel. Yeah, she she, oh, she cosplayed the hell out of it. She was yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. Famously getting uh, Jonathan Frakes' attention. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, we would love to hear what you thought of today's episode and hope you'll join our Facebook group, the BQN Collective, to continue our discussion there. You can also reach us at All Good Pod on Twitter and Blue Sky. Please follow the network on Twitter, Blue Sky, and Instagram at BQN Podcast. We've also partnered with our friends at the Fandom Podcast Network, where you can find us by searching their master feed. So, Amy, where can people find you? When you're not... Undercover in the dingy bar as a hooker. That was mine. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, when I am not doing that, there's lots of dingy bars here in Vegas. I could be doing that a lot now that I'm retired, <laughs> but I'm not. <laughs> so you can find me here on the network where I'm co hosting Union Federation. I am on that darn pesky Twitter. Uh, at Miss Amy Nelson, but really my favorite place, Facebook at the BQN Collective. So Kelvin, where can people find you when you are doing your health and safety inspections in the 24th century? Yeah, I'm hoping to have retired before then. Um, You can find me on the socials at Kelvin's Timeline uh, or in the Facebook group, the BQN Collective. And Christos, where can people find you when you are not laced seductively on a chaise long in very tight fitting clothing, uh, asking Enterprise First Officers uh, to do what you say, otherwise you'll inflict agony on them. Oh, my God. Such a picture there. Um, You can find me also in the Facebook group, the BQN Collective. You can find me on all the socials at at GreekGeekSD and over on at what's the T-Bev. I will say, I don't know if you guys are feeling social media fatigue lately, but Mm -hmm. I I am not been... I have not been very active on any of the socials lately. And I'm just like, why is that? Other than the fact that I've been a very busy person, but just something I've noticed. There's too many of them now. It's like a job. Yeah. (laughs) It kind of is. Yeah. Please hit the subscribe button on Apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a star rating and a written review that helps others to find the show. You can also follow the entire network's podcast with our master feed by searching BQN. At this time, we would like to thank our associate producers, Mahendran Radhakrishnan and Tim Cooper. A special thanks to Graham Kelly for our opening and closing music and our beloved Mark White for our artwork each and every week. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron on the network on Patreon. We will add you to the Hive Mind Facebook group so you can enjoy its green Amy's Math Moments and other network perks. With a monthly subscription of $5 or more, you can join our meetings on the Hive Mind Roundtable discussion on the second Saturdays of each month. Visit patreon.com slash BQN to get all the details and watch your messages. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us as we search out. All good things.